listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. Today we are going to continue in our series in 1st and 2nd Samuel. If you have your Bibles, you can look at uh, 1st Samuel 7. Uh, and we'll be looking at uh, the first part of 8, and we'll be looking at 3 through 15 and 7, and 8, we'll be looking through 1 through 3. Uh, if you don't want to look in your Bible or you don't have it with you, you can always uh, look for your convenience in the order of worship uh, in that. Uh, by the way, when we're going through First and Second Samuel, uh, just realize that there's a lot of things in this story, a lot more that we can get to. And the best thing I would suggest to help you get the most out of this sermon series is to start reading through First uh, Samuel at this point. I think you'll uh, catch some things that we didn't get the second time around. It will reinforce some things that we've talked about. And there's a lot of fascinating things that we just can't get to uh, that would take us a long time to find everything out of what God is revealing in His Word here. But two, so far, there have really been two stories that we've dealt with. We've talked about uh, Samuel's story as a, an emerging prophet, the young man that had, had a dropped off as a little child in the temple. And then Eli, the priest, and his family and his son. But now there's really only one story here by way of these households. Samuel is coming of age here. And now he's becoming the dominant spiritual leader in Israel. But is he the one? I mean, the whole time Israel is just seeking for that one person that would just get them out of the mess, get them out of the chaos, the person that can come along, that they, can, that they could put, uh, get behind as a leader of their nation. Should we get our hopes up this time in the story? I mean, we've already been disappointed in Eli and his sons. And Israel's still at war with the Philistines. Last time, God's people took the ark into battle only to lose tens of thousands of men and have the Philistines completely defeat them and take the ark and covenant away from them. The Philistines know that the Jewish people at this point are very vulnerable and they're out to conquer them. They're relentless. So what's the new leader Samuel going to do? And how are God's people going to respond in this story today? There's so many questions. So let's dig back into the story today by looking at our passage. And we're going to read our first um, uh, paragraph here. And then we'll get to the other ones as we move through the sermon. 1 Samuel 7, 3 says, and Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the, the bells and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, make your word clear to us today. Open our eyes, open our ears, penetrate our hearts, soften our hearts, that we may be transformed by your word because you are the only person that can actually do that. Your word is living. It's without error. Help us to cling to that and rest in it today in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's fill in some gaps. We talked about it already. It's hard sometimes to get, especially when you have these broad narratives in the Bible, picking up every detail in that. 
And last week was so tragic. When you look at Eli and his family, I mean, we, we had, we had uh, his whole family dying. Uh, we had the ark being lost or taken away. And now it's actually back in the story today. How did it get back? Well, I'm glad you asked. Actually, I'm glad I asked. Um, so remember last week, the Philistines took the ark. But here's what happened. When they got the ark, and begin, they began to experience these plagues and in the form of a rat infestation in their countryside and tumors all over their bodies. And then they thought, this is more than we can handle. Maybe we'll let our God, they God, handle it. And so they thought, we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of our God, Dagon. Now, Dagon's an interesting god or uh, idol. He's kind of a merman, if you want to say it like that. Uh, he's got a human body and a, and a torso, and then uh, a fish is, is the rest of him. He was seen as their, one of their futility gods. Um, somehow they had this idea that he invented the plow, and I'm thinking, how's he going to plow with a fish tail? But, yeah. but anyway, so let's get back to it. Uh, they go back in the morning where they had put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple before their God, and they found that Dagon, their fish god, had fallen before the Ark, like he was bowing down. Now, they didn't, they didn't get that part. They just thought, oh, our statue fell over. We can pick it back up. So they get it back up. But they don't know that they're dealing with the real God of the universe. They think maybe it just fell. So they put him up. And they go in the next morning. He has fallen again. And he's decapitated at that point. At that point, with all the plagues, and basically with the head cut off of their God statue, they at this point think the ark is either haunted or it is cursed, but they want nothing more of it. It's kind of like the game of hot potato that you used to play as a kid where you had the ball, and they're doing the same thing, like, let's just get rid of it. Wherever we can do it, we're going to get rid of it. And so they go back, uh, and they take it back to the Israelites, and they said, you can have it. We don't want it. And so the ark gets dropped off, and basically, in the middle of nowhere, Israel, in this podunk town, uh, in, in just, like, rural Israel, and then 20 years pass in the story. And that's what we're picking up today. A lot can happen in 20 years. And it has in this story today. First of all, no one's really in Israel concerned about the ark like they were before. But in contrast, Samuel the prophet is growing in reputation. So let's see what's going to happen next and what God may be showing us through this story. We're going to look at three points, and the sermon outline is actually in the order of worship. You want to look at that? We're going to talk about the return of God, to God. We're going to talk about the restoration of the cities. And then we're going to talk about the recycling of human ways. So let's go back to what we read before in this first section. Um, look at verse 3 again. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are turning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and Ashtaroth among you, and direct all your heart to the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. And so they put them away. So these are, again, these are like uh, these, these fertility gods are running rampant. And a lot of these ways that people worship these gods are, 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 are with gross uh, sexual acts and immorality and child sacrifices. This is what's going on here that they have been chasing after 
only to say, will you give us fertility, fertility in return? Look at verse 5. Samuel says to all of Israel, after he had said, turn your hearts away, he said, we're going to have a gathering. And he goes and he, at Mizpah, and he says, I will pray to the Lord for you. And they gathered at Mizpah. And they drew water and poured it out before the God. And they fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. It's like they can't get a break. All they're trying to do is just gather and repent. And then the people of Israel heard it, and they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Verse 9, So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering, in the act of offering the burnt offering, the Philistines grew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered a mighty sound in that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Car. Totally different change here. A big change here in what's happening. And, and how does Samuel do it? Well, it reminds me of this. I've got a confession to make. Uh, technology and I do not get along. I don't trust it or my ability to use it. I'm just going to be honest. It's not that I'm suspicious of technology. I mean, I'm so thankful for all the gifts that technology gives me and the resources. But trucks, like technology, have both failed me over the years, and I'm tired of it. As an educator and a speaker at conferences, I'd have these great lesson plans or these, uh, in my mind, what would be a great speech and, and have a PowerPoint only to have technology lock up or freeze up. Uh, but I have found over the years, I've got one hat up my sleeve. And that is, and it's the only hat I have. You take the cord, you unplug it, <laughs> and you plug it back in. Now, this is a similar thought though in a different way of what Samuel's calling for to the people here. A complete reboot. A complete restart for the nation of Israel. And how does he go about it? He doesn't give them a checklist of religious do's and don'ts here. We've already seen uh, Israel do the right things, like bring the ark into battle, but do it with the wrong motive. He's not going back to that. We've already seen them use the ark of the covenant as a lucky charm, and God just in some way of saying, I can do these things and God will bless me. And they had gotten utterly destroyed and defeated. And the glory of the Lord, remember last time, had left them, even though they were doing the right things. You know, Samuel, if you look at it here, is going after their hearts. He said, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, and you direct your heart away from these gods uh, to the real God, then he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. See, after that, the people all joined together in, in, this, in this town, in Mizpah, and then they, they, they fast, they confess their infidelity to God, which is basically what it was, and they experienced a spiritual renewal at this time. But the Philistines 
I mean, when the Philistines heard that they had gathered for this little religious revival they were having, they're like, we're going to take the chance. We got them all in one place now. They're relentless, as I said before. They, look, they take every opportunity. They want Israel's defeat so bad. They want their possessions and their land so bad. And they're coming after Israel with all they have. And then the people, they beg Samuel the prophet, please do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. The battle is the same as last time. The enemy was the same as the last time. This time, their hearts are different. Samuel responds by sacrificing a lamb to God on behalf of the people as he did. As soon as he sacrifices, Philistines start marching in. But God heard Samuel and answered his prayers with a magnificent display of power. It says, the Lord thundered a mighty sound in that day and threw them in confusion and they were defeated for the Israelites. See, the, the men of Israel now, instead of running away from the Philistines, they start running after them and they strike them down. And God heard the cries of his people through Samuel and he rescued them in spite of their past. In spite of their past. So let's look, look what happens next as we kind of get these uh, ideas together. Verse, uh, let's look at the restoration of the cities here. Verse 12. When Samuel took a stone, he set it between Mizpah and Shen and called it Ebenezer. Does that sound familiar? We sang a, a song about Ebenezer today. We're going to talk more about that. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter again into the territory of Israel. And the, land, Lord, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities that the Philistines had taken away from Israel were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered their territories from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. And then verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. So this is the exact opposite of what we saw with Eli and his sons and the way they had corrupted worship and the, the way they went into battle and all those ways. And remember the last thing we heard last week with Eli's family was uh, that his, Eli and his sons were dead. And one of his son's wives were actually pregnant. And she dies right after childbirth, but not before she names her child Ichabod, which meant the glory of the Lord has departed. But now a new name has been reinstated. It's, it's not Ichabod anymore. It's Ebenezer, stone of help. It's not the glory of the Lord has departed. It's God as our helper now. But here's what's fascinating. Samuel actually put this stone up as a monument here, almost like an altar here, between where they repented and where they defeated the Philistines. Right between a midway. So think about it like this. God is our helper. It's not the God just in victory, but as they thought about the defeat that they suffered in that way and what they had been called to repent, they, they had help from that time to claim their victory and also understand that God was always there even when they were not going after him. So basically what Sam was saying here, he wants to think of not only he wants them to remember God and not just thank God for the victory or for his blessings, but also in the way that God had disciplined them to get them 
to that point. But God is the helper even in discipline that he is in victory and in blessings. And that's a great reminder of us because we all live in that tension in our lives. And there's a sense to where we think in some ways that, that uh, when good times are, are, are going on, that's God showing himself. And when there's suffering and there's pain, then that's God removing himself. And that's not what the pattern of the Bible. He's always there. And he's always there to use it for a reason and in a way that we can't imagine there. Just like we sing about that, we sing in Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing today, I mean, you can look at the words of that and see the same thing. God is indeed the fountain of blessing. It is streams of mercy that are never ceasing and will be new again tomorrow and the next day. Not only has he shown himself faithful in countless ways and small ways in rescuing us, but mainly through his death of his son. And think about this, where, where, where Samuel had this monument, this statue, this stone that he had made here to show as the Ebenezer got our help. We know that later there's going to be a new Ebenezer where Jesus is on as God is our help, called Calvary. The song reminds us that, that Jesus spilled his blood to rescue us when we were wandering, the song says. How much more will he save us in dangers to come? He was raised as our stone of help and our hope to arrive safely at home, come what may. That's not just wishful thinking. It's a sure and steady hope, as sure as God is God. If we belong to Christ, he will tie us to himself and seal our hearts, as the song said, back in course forever. But back to the story. Now, I hope that, that next time you sing that song, you'll see a lot more to it than you did today or in the past. But back to our story, right? I mean, last, compared to last week, this story looks fabulous. I mean, last week was just sad and tragic and full of trauma and death. And like I said, the last word there was Ichabod. The glory of the Lord had departed. But this week, I mean, it, we, it seems like we're brought from tragedy to glory. But as I told you at the beginning of the series, don't get your hopes up. Let's look at uh, Roman number three, the recycling of human ways, our last point here. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges of Israel. And then his firstborn was Joel. Same as the uh, second one was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside again after game. They took bribes. They perverted justice. So here we go again. You're like, is it going to stop? We're just getting started. So here we go again. I said in the beginning, it's going to be more and more clear as we go through this study and through the books of First and Second Samuel. Samuel looks like a savior here. He looks like the perfect judge. Compared to a lot of the judges they've had before, he looks unbelievable. He was the leader that everybody admired, only to have his sons turn away from what was right. So what now? Where do we go from here? This is not just an ancient story. This is our lives now. <clears throat> Think about it. Our bosses will disappoint us. Our spouses will disappoint us. Our children and our heroes and our leaders and our football teams will all disappoint you. But where do you go then? What do you do after that? Where do you go? We're going to see the nation of Israel and what they do next. But we're going to talk about it next week. And there's going to be so much more to the story. And you're going to see more and more clearly of what God's showing us through this. But here's the thing. In all the stories that we're about to enter into, it's like life. 
As I said before, you're about to get your hopes up in a lot of these stories only to be dashed. You're going to fall in love with people that look like heroes to only to have your heart broken. You are going to want to get behind the leader because he looks like he's the God-given savior of the world. And I've seen that people do that with presidents every term on one side or the other, only to be devastatingly disappointed. You will be surprised by people that you never thought could be leaders. And you're going to be let down by leaders that you thought were could redeem the world, or at least the nation. See, this has been the story of the world since the history of the world. It's the history of humanness, but more so, it's the real story of God. God's always there to remind you that many times we all lack faith in a lot of ways. But He is not going to let you down. And just because everybody else has let you down doesn't mean that God's going to let you down. Because there's only one God you can trust. Only one perfect man that's ever lived that you can really serve as your Savior and that you can trust without reservation and hesitation. Anyone else, anything else will let you down. God never will. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are everything that our hearts dream of. Everything our souls need in our lives. Uh, we get so distracted by pouring our affections into things that we think are going to bring us happiness. People that we think that are going to bring us happiness. Only to continue to be back in the same place of discontentment and heartbrokenness. We'll protect our heart from that. Help us to flood our affections into you. Help us to truly understand what it means that you have given us an Ebenezer. God our help through Jesus Christ who was lifted up on the cross to die a death that he did not deserve that we can have a life that we don't deserve and we're thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.